a happy Thanksgiving. If you're celebrating, uh, welcome to a, uh, another edition of the VHF DX podcast. Nick Langan with you and uh, here with Bryce Foster. Bryce, say a happy Thanksgiving to you. How's, uh, how's everything going with you? You too, Nick. Uh, all is well. It is a uh, mild, nice day here. I was just outside um, blowing leaves all over myself, trying to clean up, clean up my yard. And uh, yeah, still on DX sabbatical. So enjoying life outside of my radio, but that's about to change with the meteor shower coming up. But yeah, that's my reader's digest of my life. What are you up to? Awesome. Yeah, it's been, uh, I, I, I think I've mentioned on the program, I'm doing the, uh, the full-time grad school thing at, uh, at Villanova. It's been a, a very busy, it's been a great semester, but just uh, action-packed. So um, it's actually probably not been a bad thing that the, uh, the tropo season here on the East Coast has, has sort of tanked, at least as far as uh, coastal tropo. Um, probably shouldn't pretend I have time to take part anyway, but um, the DX sabbatical, all good. I think I think overall we don't you know we we have a lot to be thankful for as far as like 2021 DX you know specific to you know the e skip season we had so um you know on this Thanksgiving we are recording this on Thanksgiving or at least this intro um there's a lot to be thankful for if you're a, a DXer in uh, in North America I think probably worldwide on uh, this uh, this past year yeah, what what a year it's been, and I don't know. I think it's been a good year overall, but I'm a serial optimist. So <laughs> I'm with you too. I uh, share those same sentiments. Um, you know, throughout you know, not just DX. It's uh, it's been a good good year. So, um, and yeah, we just wanted to to briefly you know touch on things that have happened. Again, it it has not been um, specific to coastal East Coast Tropo. There has not been a whole lot going on in October and November. Um, I think the uh, the one DXer who has shined the past couple of months, uh, if you don't uh, follow the, uh, the WTFDA logger uh, designed by our own Bryce Foster, um, Steve Rich, uh, he has a couple of remote DTV sites that uh, report to uh, the uh, the Rabbit Ears Auto Logger, a uh, great great DX tool, um, and he had a, a plethora of uh, Gulf Coast uh, DTV logs late October, early November, uh, including some uh, ATSC 3.0 DT logs um, doing really well. Um, so um, although openings have not been uh, a plum, I guess you might say, uh, Steve has had some uh, some great results. Yeah, I was also looking in the archives of the logger, which you can you can do if you're following along with us by just going up to the top and hitting archive. And by the way, if you don't don't know what the logger is or um, you know want to know how to join, it's just a feature of WTFDA. You can go to uh, db.wtfda.org or type in wlogger.app and uh, sign up if you're part of the organization, which is an inexpensive annual uh, commitment. Uh, we'll review your. Uh, request and, and give you access. So anyway, I was looking at the logs and um, it, it does look like early November, uh, looks like November 8th, there was a pretty good uh, tropo event for our friends in the Southeast. Of course, that late December through mid-November timeframe, I, I had a lot of luck living in Tennessee with tropo and it, remember you know, that. seeing yep. some, some um, Steve's Payson sites doing really well, um, Josh in Arkansas, and of course, Fred in South Carolina. I think there was maybe a little bit of activity with him. Um, he got down to maybe Miami, little, I, I think I saw. Right. 
So yeah, pretty good stuff. Although I know that is not super uncommon in the Southeast, but I think we've definitely been cut off here above the Mason Dixon line. That is uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, usually, um, you know, in my, you know, again, 17 year span paying attention to this um, typically after August, we get at least one good here specific to New Jersey um, coastal Carolina opening. I always enjoy those as far as Trapo goes and that has not happened. So um, now it's not impossible uh, December, 2019 to go back into the, uh, the memory book, actually Christmas day um, was the, uh, the opening of record here, um, here specific to my tabernacle, New Jersey location, um, getting into uh, Savannah, Georgia, as far as uh, Trapo goes. So it's not, if we get a warm December, um, the early indications are at least the first half of December might start off warm. It's actually been kind of cold, uh, the past, uh, couple of weeks in November. Um, but, um, if that happens, you can't write it off. I wouldn't count on it. Um, it's hard to count on Trapo here, you know, again, like you said, north of Mason Dixon, you know, anytime after October, really, um, but not impossible. And again, as you alluded to, um, Gemini- Geminids, hope I'm pronouncing it right, um, is the uh, meteor shower that peaks, I believe, the 13th and 14th of December. That's usually a good one. That's, um, you know, you don't have to put up with the same amount of tropo that the August shower usually, you know, it's just native to to August being warmer. Um, and then the December uh, e-skip season, I actually had noticed yesterday, I'm pretty sure Rick Shafton, uh, his auto logger, um, had a couple uh, low end e-skip catches, uh, his rabbit ears auto logger. Um, there was some six meter activity. Actually, the past couple right around Thanksgivings, I, I've noticed a, a little flurry um, of six meter activity. But usually between the 15th of December and the 15th of January, um, you know, n- never anything like super, you know, massive with the exception of the 2015 winter skip season. Um, but, you know, typically there's a couple openings. So um, some stuff to look forward to on the, uh, the FMDX calendar. Yes, for sure. And I'm, I'm starting up my, uh, my meteor monitoring as of this week. Uh, I, I definitely some elevated activity versus normal. I think there's lots of these for me, me the meteor seasons from August to, uh, to December 15th. Uh, and there's just lots of little minor showers in there. It's yep. good stuff. Obviously I've been, I burned myself out a little bit with the East Gibbs season, but I'm going to fire things back up Complete here for the, the next sabbatical. three weeks and yeah. we'll, we'll see how it, how it goes. That's uh, you know, yeah, it, it, the sabbatical, I think, you know, should probably end maybe, uh, you know, December 10th and then uh, jump right in to the peak of the shower. Um, I think that, you know, that should get you nice and recharged. Um, so yeah, some stuff to look forward to. Um, and we have a fun conversation to, uh, to feature uh, this, uh, this time around. Now, again, um, we, we want to, it, during the off season, I think we're going to stick to more of an every other month schedule. I know there were people looking for us, you know, at the end of October, um, as far as uh, putting out an episode, um, you know, it, it probably makes more sense. Again, unless we have like a blockbuster e-skip month or like meteor results are really cool, you know, we can always record one around Christmas time, but I would probably look for another episode in January. Bryce, uh, you think that sounds probably like the the right kind of cadence? 
Yeah, unless you can find a co-host with a much bigger personality than mine <laughs> and a lot more time, I think. Uh, <laughs> I know, miss uh, the issue. Your, your personality, it's, you know, it, it just bubbles through, I, I think. Okay. Agree. Right. Um, but yeah, time is the issue for, I think, both of us. Um, so, but we're happy to do them when we can. Uh, but we were able to secure uh, a really interesting conversation. Uh, uh, many FMDXers probably know the name Saul Chernos. If you don't, uh, he is a gentleman who's been uh, DXing since uh, the late 70s, actually, uh, from various locations in and around Metro Toronto uh, in uh, southwest Ontario. He's had a lot of success. He's actually approaching 5,000 uh, FM logs uh, from some remote sites. And, and Bryce, we, we had a real interesting conversation with him. Yes, overall, very interesting uh, gentleman. So it almost, I mean, we, I think we talked to him for almost an hour afterward. And uh, yeah, it, maybe uh, have him back at some point. It was so good. So looking I think forward so. to hearing it again. More specific to, to meet, we know, we, we talked about his background, his um, some of his catches, including this past East Skip season. We didn't get into Meteor Scatter a ton, which he's had a, a great deal of, res- of uh, success with as well. Um, so maybe we'll have him back. But let's take a listen to our conversation with uh, Saul Chernos that uh, Bryce and I uh, actually recorded on Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, enjoy. All right, here on the VHF DX podcast, uh, Nick Langan with Bryce Foster. And uh, we're, uh, be, uh, we're pleased to be joined on this uh, episode by uh, uh, and a very accomplished DXer, has been uh, DXing north of the border for uh, many years, uh, Saul Chernos with us. Saul, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, how are things uh, going for you uh, up there in Canada? You're welcome, Nick. Thank you. And thank you, Bryce. Uh, things are going well. Uh, you guys are about to celebrate Thanksgiving and we did our turkey about a month ago. Uh, so we're a little ahead of that curve, but uh, you know, there's other curves we're behind. So it's, it's interesting times. Um, as far as DX goes, uh, I've started, uh, I was looking at my log. At, uh, you guys made me think about the past uh, and history when you, when you asked me to be on your podcast. And so I realized I started the hobby on FM in 1977. Wow. And uh, I remember being in the boathouse cabin, the cabin atop the boathouse here at Four Mile Lake uh, near Burnt River. And tune, I'd already was a little familiar with AM, but I was kind of curious about what FM would yield. And I was just spinning the dial. Sun was setting and suddenly I noticed uh a lot of stations in that kind of the band was a bit of a mess. I had KOBC in Joplin on 90.7, Joplin, Missouri. I had 91.1 KSJN, if I remember correctly, out of St. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. And I had 104.1 way up the, near the top of the dial from Oklahoma City. Mm. And I wondered what in tarnation is going on. I also didn't have any kind of directories. I wasn't connected with any DX clubs or anything like that. So I had no idea whatsoever what the phenomena was that was causing this. I had previously, as far as places like Detroit at 280 miles or Ottawa or Rochester, New York, and suddenly I'm getting uh, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Minnesota. And I'm thinking, all right, is, you know, is the earth in some kind of spiral out of control? Is something weird <laughs> going on with the atmosphere? What, what, what is going on? I, and I, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a tech person. I'm a journalist. At that point, I was a teenager. And, um, you, you know, I, I guess grade 
10, 11 or something like that. And I, all I can do is wait anxiously till the weekend is over. We were up at, at a family cottage for the weekend. That's what this place is. And I went back to the Toronto Reference Library and found a Vane Jones log or something akin to that. Looked up the stations, realized I'd had that far and finally made some connections. I talked to some people I knew in the AM side of the hobby and got referred to WTFDA and figured out that I'd had some e-skip, that it bounces off the e-layer and does crazy stuff and you know got from there i got some meteor scatter catches um some aurora a lot of aurora catches up this far north i've had tons of that stuff and uh some interesting tropo and lots of e-skip so you were an amdxer before you were an fmdxer if i uh, heard that right in that story yeah yeah i started out i was in a hockey pool in grade nine and I realized I could have an advantage over everybody else in terms of knowing how I was doing by tuning into the St. Louis Blues live on uh, <laughs> in the playoffs on KMOX or to the New York, whoever it was. Uh, I think the Islanders I was following and, you know, not just Toronto, but I was so I, I would in the evening, I would kind of go through the, the radio and, you know, catch all the stations uh, with their live broadcasts of, of uh, hockey. I'd figured out that much. I didn't know there was a, anything to do with long distance or anything like that. And then I think one morning I heard KFI in California on 640. Wow. I went down to the same library. And uh, this is before, of course, the FM catches. And I looked up where KFI was from. I think I knew by then it was California because I think I heard references to Los Angeles. And uh, then I got Denver on 850. And I thought, if, well, gee whiz, if I can get that far west, I wonder if I, can, if I go south what I can get. So I went back to the library. It's all the library back then, no internet. Sure. And I settled for some reason on 730 XCX in Mexico City, uh, possibly because I knew that CBC in Toronto and 740 and adjacent went off. For some reason, I just picked that one out of, out, out of a hat. And I got it. Within a few days, I was hearing La de Mexico. And I thought, wow. And from there, I was keeping a log. And eventually, I got in touch with the Xers. And eventually discovered TV and FM. I discovered the TV going wild a little bit too. I can't remember which came first, uh, TV or FM. Do you remember how, I mean, it's fascinating to me thinking about all the information at our fingertips now. I mean, do, do you recall how you found your way into like connecting with other DXers? I mean, obviously first on the AM side, was, was there a reference in a book in a library somewhere about it? Or were you just kind of figuring it out as you went? Because surely you don't have any... Uh, you know, random people, you know, who are also DXers. No, um, I can't remember uh, specifically. I remember running into the World Radio TV Handbook, the Worth. That was at the library. This is a big, this is Toronto's biggest reference library. Mm. Uh, you don't, mm. at least at the time, you didn't take books out of it, but they had every kind of book you can imagine uh, in their in their collection. So there, there were um, some resources like that. So I think I, I think I might have discovered a club or other. I think one of the first clubs I got in touch with was the Ontario DX Association, ODXA, which is mainly shortwave, but had uh, some AMDXers as well. Oh, very interesting. And one so thing led to another, and I and I ran into people in the WTFD back then. I think the person I had the most touch with. Um, was Mike Reed in Toronto, who's mostly out of the hobby these days, although dabbles in it from time to time. I feel like there's been a there's there's a nice little conglomeration, and, and maybe it, it's grown over time um, of folks in your area 
who are active in the hobby and and maybe and maybe you could comment on this maybe it, it has something to do with um i feel like a lot of good dx happens in um southwest ontario um you're west of you know any blockage from the appalachian mountains you know obviously once you get past you know central new york and um so you're sort of like the west is kind of wide open to you um and it's sort of at that you know we talked about on the previous episode sometimes like 40 or 41 north it's kind of like the east skip sweet spot um and then you're far enough north um where you can get into some rural openings or just some high latitude openings so um talk about sort of like the dx opportunities in you know presumably you've lived uh, in that toronto area uh this whole time um talk about you know just just the quality of dx does it seem like it's 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 you know, high, um, over your, your time there. I think I am where I am. Um, and I think that everybody's got some kind of advantage and some kind of disadvantage, uh, depending on where they are. And it can be due to a number of factors. It could be geographic. It could be terrain. Uh, it could be, uh, something like rock composition. For instance, when we're uh, I, Newfoundland, coastal Newfoundland, it's absolutely hot for, for uh, AMDX, you, you, you position yourself south of St. John's in the Kappa Hayden area. Look that up, C-A-P-P-A-H-A-Y-D-E-N, Newfoundland. Anybody can look that up in a map and see it's not far from where Marconi uh, and company did their experiments. Wow, wow. And uh, it's amazing how you can turn on the radio any night you want on AM and hear Brazil, Argentina, Russia, India, you name it. It's so and fantastic. Spanish stations absolutely all over the dial. So I'm I I don't think it matters where you are. And I one thing I've noticed with terrain and with with geologic composition is that we pour salt water uh, over our antennas because we found that our proximity to salt water um, enhances signals. The signal strengths just seem to you know you go a little bit inland and suddenly they're gone. And it's it seems even better than let's say large lakes. Of of course, there's not much. This, there's not much separating if you have ocean between, you know, Newfoundland and Spain. There's really not much to get in the way there. Um, and so I don't know if it's a matter of, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not, I, I don't want to proclaim to be an expert. So I don't know if it's just a matter of, um, of superstition and having a little fun and pouring, you know, buckets and buckets of salt water, uh, <laughs> pulling them up from the, from the ocean on the, on the rocky terrain there isn't so easy. So it's a bit of an effort, but, uh, and then pouring them over the endpoints of the uh, various wires. Um, I don't know if that really has done anything. I've but heard the, stranger yeah, things in this hobby. So there you go. Um, but I, it's fun. It adds a little mystique to it, a little bit of charisma, and it, it, it just makes the whole experience so enjoyable. But at any rate, but I've heard like stories of uh, if you're up in granite uh, territory, there's lots of granite rock and not much soil that it, the conditions can be sometimes affected or that if you have lots of agricultural soil, good, good fertile soils, sometimes, in the, you know, in, in, in depth that that can make a difference. I don't know to what extent that's all true, but I, I go by the the sense that no matter where you are, you've got strengths and you've got weaknesses. If you're in a forested area or if you're a high on a mountain, uh, you've got blockage or you don't have blockage. For instance, if you're in an urban area uh, or if you have IBOC or if you have a number of different factors, you're so effective. If you have a tower, you don't have a tower. If you have a good dipole, if you have lousy coax versus good sure. coax, if you have electrical noise, if you have a neighbor who's got a TV going that, that somehow is a little botched up and puts out interference. So 
I think lots of things, as far as South, Southern Ontario goes, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think we just have a couple, you know, fairly active DXers here. Uh, you want to go south of the border uh, and you want to talk to somebody about Trapo, like nobody's experienced, aside from Fernando Garcia in Mexico. There, there's somebody who, who had Trapo up to Virginia. Remember that? Uh, I think uh, Portsmouth. Uh, 26, I believe, or 27, the old... Uh, you know, Crazy stuff. Yep. Bob Siebold, Bob Siebold out of Dunkirk, New York, um, who's hosted a few conventions, uh, WTFD conventions, and has taken people on little de-expeditions at those conventions out to his mobile site. He's got permission from a farmer, at least he did. I don't know how active he is these days, but uh, he, he would, you know, get Alabama and Iowa and all sorts of crazy stuff. And it would always excite him, but it was never anything unusual. I mean, not that he wouldn't get it every day, but if there was an opening going on or the potential of an opening, if other people were getting hints of something or a little bit of CCI, he'd be pulling in signals, identifiable signals. It's funny you mentioned him. Um, I was going to uh, bring up with you uh, your recollection of the, well, we're at the the 20, as we're taping this uh, the day before Thanksgiving, um, it has been 35 years uh, since the famed, Thanksgiving 1986 Trapo opening, um, which many have uh, referenced as the goat of uh, uh, Trapo openings um, in North America in recorded history. Um, and Bob Siebold um, had a, uh, a UHF analog from Austin, uh, Texas in that one, which is over 1300 from uh, Dunkirk, New York. He had uh, VHF translators from Western Iowa. Uh, some of the stuff that went on in that opening was just it, like never. Some of the stories Jeff Cadet, uh, the late uh, DXer uh, from uh, Western Illinois, told of, I believe, translators in San Antonio relaying Indianapolis. Just like unbelievable stuff. Um, just curious, do you remember anything? I I I will say based on I. I was one years old at the time, so don't, you know, I'm just on WTFDA VUDs. Um, what I've read, it seemed more of a TV, a, you know, UHF, some VHF TV, but more of a TV phenomenon than FM. Um, do you recall anything from, from that event uh, 35 years later? Sadly, I do. Um, and maybe maybe that explains some of what I experienced that it was uh, recollected as, as mostly TV event because I was on FM. I was a teenager. Oh, no, I, at that point, I was 20, uh, 61 to 86, be 25 years old. Uh, and I would have been in the first year or two of my first job at uh, in uh, Paris, Ontario, which is down halfway between Toronto and London. Um, I was uh, a reporter at the weekly a weekly newspaper there. And so my, my DX was mainly in my car and stuff like that. And I, in fact, looked at my log for those days and I was in Toronto, I guess I was visiting for a few days and I had some car logs. I'm not entirely sure where I was, but I'm going to guess the Scarborough Bluffs are driving around. And I had, uh, just as Bob Siebold was getting Austin, Texas, I was getting Fort Wayne, Indiana, Schenectady, New York, Scranton, Pennsylvania. And interestingly enough, uh, I have a note down that I was kind of in on the border of downtown Toronto in my car, which now would be nothing but images. And I was mm. getting Wheeling, West Virginia, Columbus, Ohio. And that's pretty well Bloor and Bathurst in Toronto, central Toronto. Downtown, so, that's, that's impressive. That's... Uh, I would say... 
that that's as good as I've ever done inland, uh, it, it, sorry, inland, in, in downtown Toronto. Uh, who knows what I would have had if I'd spent the whole opening in, in good territory. Some of the sites I discovered later on um, have, have done much more spectacularly than that. Uh, but you've got to get out of the big city for the, it's like DXing in downtown New York or downtown Chicago. Yep. Good luck. Which I but, think but I, I remember hearing about that opening and I don't remember feeling down about it. I because back then I wouldn't have heard about that opening until sure. months later. And it might've taken even longer to sort of realize what a legendary opening that, that was. So Bob Siebold only got into Austin, Texas. That's all. <laughs> I think that was the, the, he had, um, I was just reading. I, I can see if I can uh, pull it back up. Um, yeah, report. So this was just the from straight from the February 1987 uh, WTFDA VUD. Um, Bob Siebold comes in with the most astounding logins, UHF to 1325 miles, VHF to 1100 miles into Texas, as well as several unbelievable translator loggings as far as Western Iowa. Um, so I think Texas was his limit. Um, I think um, it, it, there's a reference here that those translator loggings were like all time distance records for translators. Um, I don't know if that held up or not in the, uh, the analog era, um, but some some pretty, pretty wild stuff. Um, and, and he there there were many um, that, that there were there was even a gentleman who I think is still around. Uh, Steve West is his name. He I think he's up in Massachusetts now, but um, he was DXing not too far from me in uh, Havertown, PA. Um, and he had a uh, an Illinois UHF, some Indiana, Kentucky. Um, he talked about it. The conditions were incredible, like 10 ducks at one time always changing strength and direction. So um, where that is, you know, I wish that would happen Thanksgiving 2021. Um, alas, I don't uh, I don't think we're going to see a repeat of history, but it's a little uh, cold and damp out there. Under <laughs> um, Quite, Yeah, that's quite the quite the haul. So Saul, you were talking a little bit about, um, you know, the dynamic of DXing in downtown Toronto, uh, which obviously brings us to, you, you have some much more interesting sites in your, your repertoire. And uh, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your, your retreat um, in, in, in Burnt River and the other places you've, you've um, found are obviously better DXing locations in Toronto. Um, maybe a little bit about your place there and your you know, experiences and how, how long you've been observing conditions from that location. Yeah, um, I've always kind of learned that uh, there's a couple advantages to FMDX if you can find height, not necessarily at the highest point, but if you can work with height, it's it's not as simple as just climbing to the top of the mountain and DXing from the top of the mountain, because then you'll just get everything. It's working the lower, just below the top of the mountain, using some of the mountain for shielding and for nulling signals from unwanted directions. Um so really playing with topography. It's also learning that you don't necessarily want to have a lot of trees around if you can avoid them or if you, you want water. Water is sometimes a really good friend if it's like a lake or a, or um, or, a, or or an ocean or something sure. like that. Sure. Certainly getting away from urban, urban stuff, whether it be noise or whether it be transmitters or things like that. So I've sought out places like that. Um, one of the places I discovered first was the Scarborough Bluffs. 
And I used to go there and I could pretty well, if there was trouble happening, it wasn't any mean feat to pull in stuff like Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. Uh, I've had Virginia. I've had uh, the Boston area, Massachusetts. I've had, I believe, Maine from there, Skowhegan, Maine. Uh, so I, I've kind of had that whole Connecticut. Uh, often, if I get wind that a station is going to go off the air, I'll take a, I, I take a quick drive out there. I don't go out so much now. I'm a bit older, and I don't necessarily feel like running around, spending all night doing that. I, you got to stay up at all hours for some. When of I was young, I would party all night too, but I don't do that either. You know, it's, the same, it's the same problem. Uh, but but you know, every once in a while, if conditions, if there's a really exceptional opening, I'll try to pull an all nighter and then just deal with the next couple of days getting back to earth. But uh, so I would often go to the Scarborough Bluffs and I had a good time doing that. Um, I, I then discovered going north. I finally found it took a while, but I found some good hills up there and um, mostly just to the north of Toronto and then to the northwest. Uh, I would say kind of maybe about 20, 30 miles out to the northwest of Toronto. Um, it's very hilly, relatively high, much higher than Toronto. But there's also places where I learned that I, that I could null the Toronto stations, that I that I would kind of go over a hill away from Toronto. And I would start getting, uh, you know, during openings to Minnesota or Wisconsin, I would, I would start doing really, really well there. And I could do it on frequencies. Actually, even though I was only 30 miles away from Toronto, I could actually uh, top Toronto channels mm. uh, to places like as far flung as Tarot, Indiana on 100.7, wow. where I have a local CHIN and uh, I, I stuff from Wisconsin on like Eau Claire on 104.5, which would be chum. Mm. So I, I discovered I could do that. And in that spot, eventually, uh, and it took a while, I had some good openings to Minnesota and Wisconsin from other places, but eventually I settled on that. Um, and one, one day I took a, a buddy up, we'd we were at a bar, actually. I probably, I, I was okay to drive. Let's just leave it at that. I, was, I, I don't drink a lot. I think I had one. I think I just had one. But anyway, my, my buddy was completely soaked. And uh, he was in the back car of the car. And I was telling him, hey, you want to see this kind of groovy place? I guarantee you'll get Detroit and Ottawa. You'll be able to hear FM from T Detroit and Ottawa. And he was kind of, he kind of thought that was cool. So we went up. And uh, within about five minutes of getting up there, I got an ID for York and Nebraska. Ooh. Yeah, that was kind of, and I'm looking to see what the ID was. It, it, it was, anyway, it was KTMX, York, Nebraska. And I thought, uh, it's going to be interesting. And I got Omaha 92.3. Wow. It was September the 6th in um, 2000 and... I can't remember the year, maybe 19, but 19, I think it would have been 1998, something okay. like that, roughly. Okay. I, I actually didn't write down the date, but it was, uh, it was uh, back then. Nebraska. And in fact, wild. It, yeah, that was pretty crazy stuff. And, uh, and that was from a car radio? In Iowa. I've got a station a lot of people have heard, Oskaloosa, Iowa, and 104.9. That was a completely open channel. So I, I cleaned up on 104.9. Now there's a station up there on, on that channel. So, yeah, I got some pretty wild stuff. And then a few years later, um, I got wind of uh, some potential uh, tropo happening to the Southwest. And I thought I should go check it out. And uh, while I was setting up, I use an external radio that I plug into the cigarette lighter. So I just turned on the car radio just to, on a channel just to hear what was going on. And I got an ID, a legal ID for um, 
KHPA in Hope, Arkansas, in 104.9. I remember uh, that night. Since nice. record, yeah. Not much farther than, uh, than York, Nebraska, believe it or not, just a little bit further, but I think it topped the thousand mile mark for me. It's right and I thought, the, you know, yeah, I think I'll finish setting up. I think it's going to be a great opening. And uh, as history would have it, that's the only log I have for weeks. Nothing happened before for a week or two. Nothing happened after for a week or two. The rest of the, uh, the rest of that time spent up there for about an hour and a half was listening to Detroit. <laughs> That's sometimes how it happens. That's, you know, with ducting um, and, you know, combination of what's available, 104.9, a wide open channel. But that that's sometimes, you know, sometimes there's only one or sometimes it's that transient. But that's, I believe that's just the class A, you know, getting down toward, you know, right on the Texas border. I, um, that's a common East Skip area for us here in uh, Jersey, PA. So I'm um, familiar with it, but that's um, on Trapo. That's wild. That's, and, and so again, so these, these are all, you know, for that period, 98 to like, I know there was that big 2009 August opening. I know you had out to Pittsburgh, Kansas, if I recall. Was this all like car radio slash the, the portable that, that you were hooking up? Was that the um, was that the general rule as far as your equipment went? Um, the 2009 opening, and I'm trying to remember, was it August the 26th or thereabouts? Yes. Yep. I remember that one. I believe it was 2009. And I was getting Springfield, Missouri on, like, Nixa, Missouri, which is near Springfield, on 105.9. And that was basically on the, I'm on the east shore of a lake facing west, and the station closest to me to the west, about 30 or 40 kilometer miles away, was uh, in Aurelia. It was on the same channel. Wow. And, I, and this thing from Nixa, Missouri, just completely overwhelmed it. I couldn't believe it. I got down into Arkansas. I've had um, I've had Arkansas from the Ozarks twice. Added also about a year and a half ago. I remember last yeah last September there were there there was a year ago last September a fellow down Harrison, there Arkansas. Josh, who heard uh, Kitchener ninety six point seven. So tell yeah. you, like Southwest Ontario, it is like the hub. Uh, <laughs> But well, that, that was a pretty. That was a that was the kind of opening that just yielded station on top of station on top of station. But the Hope Arkansas thing was utterly alone. I remember. I think I was tipped off by Bill Hepburn's tropo forecasts, so I was kind of alert to the fact that something might happen. And uh, when it looked like I think some people on some of the ham maps were getting down into Little Rock, I thought I might from Michigan. I thought it might be worth APRS, checking out. Yeah. So there was definitely activity there, but. Uh, it, it, it could have been the kind of activity that was, like, there are often openings, like other people have reported, uh, another DXer, Bill Hepburn, and Mike Reed, when he was DXing in Toronto, would often report getting, you know, stations on UHF from as far as Springfield with stations being very, very weak. Sometimes you'd really need good, you know, amps and stuff like that to, sure. to haul them in and they, they'd be ghosty and you'd, it would take a while to figure out who they are. Um, and uh, it could have been one of those kinds of openings. For sure, for sure. That's now fascinating to and 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 you know, I'm impressed with what you were hearing. You know, just making you know another example. We've discussed it before. Just it's not all about um, you know big antennas, um, sophisticated equipment, um, and you know, I think I think you've what you've heard is has been evident evidence of that um has your equipment changed in the last 
decade? Um, have you been tempted by SDRs? Talk about what you've uh, um, used. Um, and have you primarily been focused out of Burnt River? Has that been more of just because of the proliferation of signals in the Toronto um, immediate vicinity? Burnt River has been pretty easy to get up to. Um, you know, I, it's a two hour drive from Toronto and I, I just come plant myself here uh, for, for a week or two weeks. For the summer, I'm up for much of the summer. I, I, I can manage it with my work, which is done mostly on the telephone and the internet. So uh, I set up an office here and I, and I, you know, I just manage the workflow and the DX flow and other, other things I want to get done. Um, but I, no, I would say it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's so much better DXing up here than in, in, in Toronto that I just don't bother in Toronto anymore sure. for the most part. Uh, I've lived in other places. I lived in Ottawa for a while and, you know, tried DXing from a university dorm, managed a few transatlantics and a couple interesting signals on AM. Uh, and I managed, I, I guess, from Ottawa down to, you know, Buffalo, New York on FM, not nothing far. And I've had a little skip in Ottawa as well. And I lived in the Paris St. George area, which is basically, if you look up Brantford 92.1 and stations like that on, on a map, you'll find um, that that's more or less where I was living. And I had some lovely tropical openings to places like Kentucky and, and Cincinnati and Wilkes-Bar, Pennsylvania. Actually, I had those areas, quite, both of those areas quite often. And I had some nice e-skip openings uh, once I had Missouri at the same time as I was getting Quebec. That was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. The the multi multi cloud ones. Those are always uh, um, th th those always keep it interesting. Um, Quebec rather short, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, this one was really short. I was getting stuff from Sherbrooke, which was you know really like it was three hundred to four hundred miles. And that, wow, that, that's wow. probably as short as I've ever had. That surprised me. That, that and that would have been in a car radio. I'm sitting in a driveway on a high hill. I had a, I, I lucked out with St. George. I, I, I rented a place, the main floor of, of somebody's country home. And uh, I, it was on one of the tallest hills in the area. So I had, I, it was fantastic. That helps big time. Yeah, that's, and then I guess the amazing e-skip season that was 2021, um, your catches were, you know, I, we, we mentioned this too. It, it's one thing, you know, to get the Caribbean slash South American um, double hop uh, when your path is primarily over water as, as it would be here um, on the East coast, but to do it, you know, a few hundred miles inland. Um, talk a little bit about what you heard uh, July 13th, just, um, you know, crazy stuff. Um, you know, talk about that day a little bit. Well, I, I, I'm interested in comparing what was going on in that day, because I know you had Iceland, uh, Bryce, and uh, I don't know, Nick, if you were in on any of that or, or not. I'm trying to remember all the reports and they were so fast and furious. But Bryce, you had Iceland. I don't know if it was the same day because it was such a crazy season that people were getting things at different times and different days. Yeah, it was really just the, the month of July, really the first half of July was uh, blur. Was Yeah, it was a bonanza. The Iceland thing was actually, I, I want to say, I can't remember the dates. Uh, the Nick, Nick the has a memory. Yep, there you go. Uh, the 8th, so just a few days before. But yeah, the 13th was uh, was sort of the the blowout of, uh, of 2021. And I think actually, you know, here being maybe 400 miles east of you, 
Um, our experiences were surprisingly similar, which uh, again, as Nick mentioned, pretty remarkable given that you are uh, a lot more inland than here. But yeah, that day of the 13th in this area was primarily Colombia. Well, it was primarily Dominican Republic, which is it would be impressive on any other day because it's double hop here as it is double hop for you. And then um, there was an additional, I, I my theory is that there was a third um, cloud in there that, that was responsible for Colombia and Guyana, which was my other exotic um, catch that day. So it, it, if I recall correctly, you were into Colombia as well, which would also be well over 2000 miles from there. I, or what I do 4, remember from that day is having a nap and waking up uh, to hearing little bits of something coming out of one of the one of the channels on my radio and seeing an email from Robert Ross in London that he was getting stations from Puerto Rico on uh, FM and desperately switching my moving my it was just a dipole on on on, on a radio on a I have a, a Pioneer Super Tuner 3D built I have three of them actually built into wood boxes. So that it's a car radio, but it, but mobile, like I could carry it with me up a mountaintop if I wanted to with a battery. Mm. And uh, I cool. could do anything with it. And I, I operate it out of a car, but I plug it into the cigarette lighter. And it's got a dipole. That on, on a, and I, I have various me- mechanisms for turning these things around uh, easily uh, without a rotor. They're manual. And I remember turning to the south, so it'd be south-facing, and just going to the lowest band uh, open frequencies, 90.1, 90.5, and 90.9, I worked from that radio. Um, and I and I left one of them recording while I went to get others recording, doing the same thing on different channels. And uh, I went back and continued working it. And I was just hearing Spanish. I had no idea what these things were. I had no real way to identify them. Uh, I, had no, I had no idea where I was getting. So there was no hope of going to the web to get some parallel signals. Uh, I had absolutely no idea. I knew they were coming from uh, south of the United States um, because uh, nothing U.S. was coming in for most of the time when these were coming in. Um, and actually, when American stuff started coming in from Georgia and, and that, I noticed that I wasn't getting these signals. Uh, although later going through recordings, some of them, there was some overlap. Um, and, uh, anyway, the, I was able to first identify that I had the Dominican Republic and that I was able to figure out pretty quickly, uh, with help from, uh, people like Ramey on the WTFDA forums. But, um, it, it wasn't until quite a bit later that I figured out I had Colombia. Um, it, I think around the same time, I think, um, DXers in, uh, John Hamilton and possibly Bill Hepburn also had Puerto Rico. So it's interesting. Um, it's, it, it could have been three clouds. It could have been two clouds. It could, you know, clouds move. Uh, so it's, it's hard to, it's hard to really know. And I've wondered about that. Um, it's quite a bit further to Colombia, but it's still double hop. Um, and the Colombia happened after the Dominican Republic. Um, and surprisingly was how long it lasted. Like it was in and out. Um, I don't know if it would have been powerful enough to knock out um, stronger stations. I was recording on five channels. I can't remember what the other two were. The, the three were 90.15 and nine, but I, I, I think yeah, I had 91.3 and I don't think there was anything interesting. And I think I had a commercial frequency. I thought I was trying something a little higher and I, and, and I was also lucking out, uh, not lucking out rather there. So uh, it necess- wasn't necessarily happening on all channels. And had I had an SDR in play um, and had the antenna been set correctly, uh, who knows what I would have been 
pulling in. The problem with an SDR is, of course, you're, if you're working with one system, your antenna is going for every single um, station. By working multiple radios, I can sort of adjust each to, to get a maximum null. So I, I got five uh, frequencies, let's say with five radios, working um, op optimally on each, on any given channel. So, you know, I can have an SDR on top of all of that, you know, <laughs> sky's the limit. Yeah. You know, uh, not, to get, uh, not to get off topic, but uh, tell me a little bit about these dipoles. Uh, do, you, do you have them mounted on like a temporary like fiberglass pole? Are you holding them or, you know, no. sort of what, how, how do those, uh, how are those I'm too, arranged? I'm too lazy to hold them. Uh, <laughs> I'm busy turning, well, my, my, my fingers are busy turning the knob and the radio uh, like a madman. But um, no, there's a, a different systems in the in in what's the DX cabin, and it's basically like just a picture a cabin on top of a small boathouse, a single boat type boathouse, uh, right on top of the lake. I could literally cast a fishing pole out and, and haul stuff in. Um, I've got I, I took uh, a little gizmo out of a out of a lazy Susan that you might use for like a cheese platter type lazy Susan, you know, the, just a little disc that spins that I was using uh, for something else. And I mounted it on the, on, the, uh, on the ceiling and I basically attached the dipole, which is just on a, it, it's, it's a wire and I've attached it to a, a, a rod, a non-metal, if, if I'm correct, a non-metal rod. And I, it spins on this thing. So I can just twirl it around like a baton oh. uh, from east to west to whatever and uh, just get the, the ideal null. Uh, funny enough, I find if I work uh, one of these things on an angle, not straight up, not not straight across, but and and not up and down, but on an angle. I do better for tropo for some reason, and I've carried that experience into the field. But you, you know, I, I I just can't do that in in a cabin. It's just I haven't got the space, and I haven't got. I have two hands. Uh, you know, humans are limited to what humans are given. You have two words. <laughs> Very Most interesting. Yeah, I think, um, you know, so, you know, you, you work with what you've got. And uh, that, so that's, so basically that's what I've got. And I've got, so I've got, and then I have a couple others that are just on board. Like, you know, again, I've got the same thing. I don't have them on lazy students. I just slip them outdoors onto a deck, out of a door or something like that. And uh, get them as far away from the building as I can using coax. I've also learned that I have to use coax that doesn't kink up. A lot of the stuff is is designed to be installed in, onto the side of your house, um, and for one time only. And if you start to go mobile with that, or reel it in, reel it out, reel it in, reel it out, it kinks up, and you've got a mess, and it twists, and it becomes unusable, and actually it degrades. So I, I've, it's been some effort to find uh, stuff that's pliable and bendable, and the right just has the right stuff in it. Very interesting. I think dipoles are kind of underrated in the hobby. So that that's really cool. And I love the ingenuity with uh, Lazy Susan. I, uh, inspirational. I've been meaning to, uh, to deploy some more like flexible dipoles. It's amazing what you like the kind of knolls you can find if you just have some an antenna handy that you can kind of move around and play with. Um, and I was going to say, actually, I think there's a little bit of science behind the, uh, having the dipole in a non-horizontal or vertical orientation. The, uh, famous Brian Beasley that publishes a lot of information about antennas. I think he calls it a tilted dipole and it has a little more gain and is, you know, just right for, uh, FM stations that tend to be circular polarization. So very cool stuff there. Um, so just, just for time, uh, 
I think we are kind of kind of wrapping things up here, but I did did want to touch a little bit on your meteor uh, scatter experience. I think you probably, you know, be right up there on the top of um, DXers with success in meteor scatter. So maybe a little bit about your setup there and techniques, um, and if you've been doing any lately, uh, if you'll be active for the December meteor shower. Well, the other two modes I've worked are, are Aurora and uh, Meteor Scatter. Meteor Scatter, I've had tons of stuff because I've got so many open channels. Um, I've had hundreds of stations. I've lost track. I mean, I, I, it's recorded somewhere in my log, but it's, it's just oodles of stations. And uh, mostly now it's relogs because <laughs> there's only so many stations you get repeatedly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it, 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 it's, it's probably the worst kind of DX to engage in because it's like listening to paint dry. You're listening to static, to an empty channel. And there's really nothing more boring in the world uh, to do. So I record and put everything, feed everything into Audacity. And I just look for visual spikes. And I can go through uh, 10 hours of, of, of audio on a particular channel in about 15 minutes. And that, that makes the hobby a little more interesting. Uh, I've had as far as Wyoming and Colorado and as short as uh, meteor scatter from as Michigan, Buffalo, New York. I don't know. It's hard to know just because it sounds like meteor scatter and is very abrupt, whether it's meteor scatter or whether it's scatter from, let's say, an airplane or sure. something else. I've also recorded three lightning scatter catches mm. uh, of fairly nearby signals. Um, and that, that I, I was able to determine based on that it was precisely uh, timed, uh, coincided with uh, with thunder crackles or lightning bursts you know things like that yeah. phenomenal like that i can't remember which just off the top of my head i think it was i think it was actually it was actually lightning um not the thunder thunder just tells you how far the thing is away but um the uh, other thing is aurora and just going through some of my uh my aurora logs um i ha i had some crazy stuff if i if i have it here from my first few years of DXing, uh, my first ever Aurora log uh, was in, um, was October 11th. I was getting just areas like Detroit and Interlochen, Michigan. And that was uh, of uh, the year would have been 19, uh, what am I getting here? 1981. So that would have been about four or five years into the hobby. I was discovering that. That was kind of cool. And, um, you know, I started getting places like, um, uh, like, uh, like I said, Interlochen was one. I discovered I could get on very rare occasions down to places like Nashville and Roanoke. Those must have been awesome auroras. I didn't know yeah. much about the science of it then, but, but the fact of getting that far south, because usually uh, with, with middle of the road auroras i'll just get east and west and a little bit to the northeast and northwest not much to get north of here and i, I, I don't know if the signals really go that way you aim north but you get east and west largely sure. yeah but i was like i remember one year i was getting uh in the middle of july i was getting uh roanoke wv wr were the calls at the time i don't know if they've changed in 89.1 okay and wsix 97.9 nashville wow and uh you know there were later Later, great openings to places like uh, Asheville, North Carolina, 88.1 WNF. So I've had places like that. I've had as far away as Nova Scotia uh, to the east, uh, Nebraska to the west, you know, usually under 1,000 miles uh, and anywhere from about 200 miles plus. 
what's nice about those two modes, Meteor Scatter Aurora, is you get distances you don't normally get by skip yep. or by tropo. Fills in the by gaps. Short, you know, yep. Everyday type tropo. And you get d- directions that, like, for instance, uh, I never get uh, – very rarely in Burnt River, if I had south, I've done well from the, to the south from uh, from the uh, from the uh, Scarborough Bluffs in yep. Toronto because it overlooks that direction. But up here, I don't. You know, I've got a lot of forest in that direction, and even when I had a tower up, openings in that direction were very very rare. And so to get something like Virginia, North Carolina, or Southern PA or New Jersey uh, or Delaware, it's usually been by that mode. Interesting. Very interesting. Any any aurora in the last say ten or fifteen years, um, or was this mainly a cycle? Or um, you mainly had luck with this toward toward the beginning in the in the eighties. The aurora mode is cyclical, of course. Uh, every eleven yeah. years, now going into a, a, a max uh, round of it, um, and uh, so I would anticipate more. There was- uh, it's. I would say I've had little bits and pieces with with Aurora, but I haven't had anything really all that crazy. I've had a few new catches out of, you know, stuff like Minnesota and, and Wisconsin and Iowa, but nothing nothing terribly exciting. Uh, one thing that happened out of an Aurora, I wasn't there for the Aurora. In fact, I wasn't even there for the skip when I got it. I was in Toronto and I had I left channel the FM recording on a few things overnight while I was you know cavorting around uh, bars the bar scene in Toronto catching the I like jazz. And so I was catching a couple jazz acts down there. And I came back that I, I, about two days later, went through the recordings. And there was an opening that the, sometimes Aurora gives way to e-skip. Sometimes there seems to be a causal relationship there. And so there was what appeared to be aurorally induced e-skip that started around one o'clock in the morning, Eastern time, local time. Wow. And uh, I noticed I was getting Manitoba and Saskatchewan. And the thing concluded with a 98.5 Virgin Radio identification, which was Calgary. It's the only time I've ever had Alberta. And that oh, was uh, over. Remember that. That's wow. And that was That's... over 50. It was about 1,700 miles. Wow. I'm putting it down as a single hop catch because it really just extended out. And I wasn't getting anything at the midway point. That was evident. But I was only on a few channels. And some channels didn't have much of anything. Very so interesting. sometimes, you know, sometimes these things happen. It's just, you know, it's, it's fluke, it's circumstance, it's, it's happenstance. Um, it's, it's knowing to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and it's a combination of that and it's luck. Definitely plays a factor. A there's, lot of luck. There's, there's perfect, no. perfect summary of this hobby. Uh, <laughs> and I think, it, I think it's been even more evident now with the, you know, with the, uh, community of DXers um, that all we all communicate over the internet. A lot of people are using SDRs and monitoring a lot. And uh, you, you don't realize how much you miss. Uh, obviously, we all can't be sitting monitoring all the time. So, you know, good, good luck, you know, happy hunting. And again, Saul, thanks so much for for, for taking the time. To, it's, it's been a great conversation. Um, we'll have to maybe have you back on to, to do some maybe meteor scatter sleuthing or um, feature some of your clips. So we'll uh, we'll stay in touch with you. OK, for sure. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Saul. Take care.